Well, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, please follow along on the screen as I read from 2 Corinthians, uh, which is which our sermon's based on this morning. Uh, friends, these words are utterly true, and they are given to us in love. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we recognize your nearness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are with us. Uh, allow your word to speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Uh, convict us where we need to be convicted. Remind us of the beauty of the gospel. Forgive the preacher, he is a sinner. But may we see Jesus, because grace changes everything. We pray this in his name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, well, if you are uh, new with us, my name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Orangewood, and it is wonderful to have uh, you with us. Uh, next week, uh, as Mark said, we're going to start a new sermon series called Grace Changes Everything. We're going to be going week by week uh, through the book of Galatians together, and I encourage you to be here for that. Um, but today, we're actually closing out our sermon series called We Are Orangewood, and, and this has been our look uh, into our mission and our values and what will guide us as a church uh, as we look forward uh, to being a church that is uh, imperfect, <laughs> that is broken, but is seeking to play our small role well for a better Orlando and for a better world. Uh, and so this series uh, has been a part of cultivating that desire of who we long to be. And so if you call Orangewood Church home, I encourage you to go back and listen to these sermons. Uh, if you missed a week, uh, to be reminded of the picture of the church we want to be. 
Uh, every week of part of this sermon series, we've been sharing our mission, why we're here, and this simply this, inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. That's, that's who we are. That's why we're here, inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. Uh, last week, we shared about our value, 168 living. Uh, this invitation from God to see all 168 hours of our week as an opportunity to join God in our work, rest, and play. And today, I'm going to share our final value with you. Uh, it's simply this, extra mile generosity. We love others out of the abundance given to us through Christ, and we willingly share our time, finances, gifts, and resources for the sake of the gospel. I'm really excited to share this value because I've seen this value being lived out in the life of our church. Um, people who, who anonymously gave gifts to teachers and staff uh, because of their work that they took on during COVID. Uh, people in our church who, who will find me or find other uh, members of our staff who, who will ask, how is our church budget doing? Do we, do we need any help? Uh, anything that you guys need? Uh, stories I hear of, of you who are seeking to use your, your talents, your skills, your, all that God has stewarded to you to serve others in our church. Uh, this, this value is alive and well, extra mile generosity. And this is what we see in our passage today. The apostle Paul uh, is writing to the Corinthian church to support the work of funds that he is trying to raise for the church that is in Jerusalem. Uh, at this time in the first century, uh, Jerusalem had been hit by an incredible famine. Uh, they, were, they were starving, and, and Paul is going about all of the churches that he has established throughout this area, seeking funds that he could pass on to the church in Jerusalem, seeking to invite them into extra mile generosity. And we actually see his invitation in verse 11 in the passage that was read. We read this. Uh, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Uh, Paul is telling the church at Corinth that you will find in your generosity that you will be enriched. Uh, you, you will find in your generosity, you will be blessed. But this isn't the the view that we usually have, right? We, we actually many times have the exact opposite view if I take on a life of generosity. What, what we find rather than a theology of abundance that we see in our passage, uh, we take on a theology of scarcity. At least I know I do. And if you don't believe it, you can ask my wife and my kids. Uh, dad is stingy. Uh, dad, dad, dad's no fun. Dad has his budget. Pray, pray for my family. Um, our view of generosity is that if I'm giving away, I won't be enriched. I, I, I won't prosper. I, I'll be left out. I will be, I will be put out. I will be one of the have nots. There's a fascinating case study that shows the oddness of this type of living, this generosity type of living. There was a, a man uh, in Brazil, 49-year-old man. He uh, had suffered a stroke. And if you want to read about this, you can read it in Neuroscience uh, Magazine. Um, great article if you're looking for a bedtime read to put you to sleep. Um, but this, this man uh, was named and classified as Mr. A, Mr. A. And uh, they, they diagnosed him with what was called pathological generosity. 
Um, he suffered a stroke in the subcortical region of his brain where we have the persistent and excessive urge to help others. Pathological generosity. He, he, he wouldn't stop giving money and gifts away to people he barely knew. His, his, his wife would talk about he would see kids on the street and he's handing out candy and money and all these things to these kids he's never, he's never met before. He also quit uh, his job as a manager in a large corporation. Uh, Dr. Larry Goldstein, who is a neurologist at Duke University, said this, quote, although the observation of personality change after a stroke is not that unusual, this particular one is apparently novel, end quote. Mr. A's pathological generosity continues to exist even today. But isn't this interesting how the doctors have diagnosed this type of generosity? It isn't normal. It's pathological. It's rare. How do we become these kind of people? How do we we get this kind of generosity flowing in our life? How do we become this pathological? Four questions we need to study from our passage. First, what is the foundation for generosity? Second, what does generosity look like in our lives? Third, what keeps us from generosity? And finally, how do we become or how do we embrace extra mile generosity? So those are our questions. First question, what is the foundation for generosity? And we actually, the Apostle Paul gives us two building blocks that are part of that foundation in our passage. The first building block is knowing the source. And we see that right here in our passage, verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, Paul clearly is talking about money in this entire section of 2 Corinthians. Um, but we know, we know that from verse five, but this entire section, which runs from chapter eight to chapter nine of this section in the book, uh, though Paul is talking about money the entire time, he actually never, ever uses the word. Uh, this whole time, he uses this other word, Grace, grace. It's not just here in verse eight, but everywhere throughout this section, uh, chapter eight, verse one, four, six, seven, nine, 19, there is a grace God has provided to you. All is grace, as the great Brennan Manning said. All is grace. Everything belongs to God. It's his, it belongs to him. Anything that we have from him is grace. Uh, This is the way Psalm 24 puts it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Uh, This psalm was written by the great King David who who had it all. Uh, He he had all power, all acclaim, all notoriety, all wealth. Um, He saw more uh, power, wealth, resources in his life than you and I will ever, ever see. David says, everything I have, Everything you have, everything contained on this earth is God's. God owns the deed to it all. How many of you have ever been to a garage sale? Everyone, everyone, now who here, you just be honest. This is a safe place. Who here loves garage sales? Like loves them. Yeah. I know my wife would raise her hand and a couple other weird people. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've all been to a garage sale. It's the thrill of the deal, the thrill of the hunt, right? Everyone brings out their stuff to the street to sell. They, 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 they price everything, and then the chaos ensues. Car, cars pile in to take uh, trash that becomes their treasure, right? 
Uh, but sometimes if you show up too late, everything's already picked over. Have you ever done this? You, you, you show up, everything's claimed already. Uh, you, you see something you want, but someone has already claimed it. They've paid for it. They haven't picked it up yet, but it's still sitting there. So you, you walk up thinking you're going to get it, and there's a little post-it on it. And, then, and I saw this one time, a post-it on it said, sold Tom Harris. I have no idea who Tom Harris is, but pray for him. Uh, Tom Harris, sold Tom Harris. I saw it, I wanted it, but it was already claimed and belonged to someone else. With our correct understanding of the world, what would it look like for you to put a post-it note on everything that you own in your life, every stewarded thing in your life, and it simply says, God's, God's, God's. We have to know the source. We have to look at our lives, assess our assets, and say, grace, grace. Undeserved, stewarded to me for his purposes. That's our first building block. Do you see that in your life? Have you identified the true source? The second building block for our foundation is knowing the sufficiency. You gotta know the source, know the sufficiency. This is what we see in verse six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Uh, There's a sufficiency to life with God and his kingdom that we are aware that he will provide for all of our needs. And Paul declares that to us here, that we can embrace extra mile generosity and we will not be disappointed. Uh, We will reap bountifully. We'll have all sufficiency. Now, I want to be clear here. um, There's something that commonly goes under the name of health and wealth gospel, health and wealth, prosperity gospel. The idea is you, you sow a gift uh, to the church, you sow a gift uh, to the preacher, and, and then you're going to get a, a yacht or a jet or a mansion. And um, if you just have enough faith, that's coming to you. And I, I just want to say that's a, a gross distortion of the biblical idea. But there is a sufficiency we will experience, it says, from this passage. Look at verse eight again. Having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you're like me this morning, you may have been diagnosed with a chronic condition. It's called worry. Maybe you have it. Um, it, And and it works like this in my life. Uh, We worry about everything. And uh, if I, I think this, if I worry long enough, If I worry long enough, um, if I stress about things hard enough, then everything will go away. Uh, I I believe if I I worry hard enough, I can fix my problems, but that never works out that way, right? I mean, you maybe already knew that, and maybe you could counsel me and give me some therapy on that, but there's this sense that we realize through all this that rather than helping me with my problems, worry only makes my problems more chaotic in my life. This is the theology of scarcity. And the Bible's picture of God is the exact opposite. It's this this great, beautiful theology of abundance, of who is this kind and gracious God? And you actually may know this verse, but see it again uh, from Psalm 23. It starts off this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Jesus walked this earth showing us what life with God really looks like and that there is this abundance and sufficiency for everyone who would want to walk with God in his kingdom. Listen to how Jesus put it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Uh, Friends, generosity can flow in our lives if we can recognize first the source of all things. It already belongs to him. It's all come to me as a grace gift. And secondly, generosity can flow in our lives if we recognize God is the one who will provide all sufficiency to us in the giving. (laughs) At all times, in all ways, he will provide. And the more we sow into his kingdom, the more we will see that sufficiency come. But what does generosity really look like? in our lives. What does generosity really look like? That's our second question. How do you know extra mile generosity is an expression of your life? There are four qualities we see, at least in our passage. The first one is attentiveness. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Uh, We see through this passage, and not only this section, but the entire section of chapters eight and nine, there, there's an attentiveness to the needs, the needs of others around. And, and we learn at the end of Romans that uh, these Corinthians had followed through on this gift that they were going to give. Apparently they followed through um, and they followed through with that commitment to the church in Jerusalem. There's an attentiveness in our lives and to the needs of others. Uh, Bruce Walke is a great Old Testament Hebrew scholar, and he wrote what I believe to be the best commentary on the book of Proverbs. And he has this bit in the book that was really fascinating, really turned on my head the idea of what you see sometimes when you read the words righteous and wicked in the Bible. Uh, Walke talks about when you see the word righteous in the book of Proverbs, uh, he says you should translate that as a person attentive to the needs of his community, and they are using their resources to bring God's goodness in the world. And when you see the word wicked, a wicked person can walk, he says, is basically a person who believes their resources belong to them and for are for them alone. That's, I mean, you go read the book of Proverbs and you'll read it very differently. The righteous and the wicked. Do you have an attentiveness to others, Uh, to their needs? Are you thinking about how you can leverage your resources for the community? Are you, are you praying right now for projects to be a part of in your life, to give away some capacity? Or are there needs that are coming to you and you're hearing about needs and you're saying, oh, I am sure someone is going to take care of them eventually. I'm sure someone will take care of them. The second quality we see is hilarity. Hilarity. What do I mean? Well, look at our verse, verse seven. It says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, we see this word in the passage, cheerful, which in the Greek is the word hilaros, hilaros, which is where we get our word hilarious, hilarity. This is how you know you're experiencing extra mile generosity in your life. When you are serving someone and you're, you're not thinking, well, they better return the favor. Uh, when, you're, when you're serving someone, you say, well, they better give back to me uh, because they, they owe me. Generosity is flowing in your life. When you get to a place, you experience a joy in the giving. Uh, you may even start to laugh with a, like a hilarity in your life. Like, I'm giving away so much money right now. This is crazy. There's a hilarity to you. Have you ever had a time when you went to the grocery store, you're in line at the grocery store, and there's somebody who comes behind you, but they only have one item. You're, you're there, you're, you're, you've got a slew of items you're buying. Someone comes right behind you, they, they've, they've got one item and you could choose, do I let them go in front of me 
Uh, do, I, do I just keep putting all my stuff out? Or even more, you see that one item, whether it's a loaf of bread or like they've come and they're only buying one thing of toilet paper, which you know there's a story, right? They're only there for one thing of toilet paper. But you see, you, you, you see them and you just say, oh, I'm going to pay for theirs as well. I, I just add that to my total. Uh, you, you're, you go to the, to the gas station, you're in your line, you're pumping gas. Somebody pulls in just on the other side of you. You can barely see them, but, but you walk over and say, hey, today I'd just like to pay for your gas. Uh, you, you're, you're posting something on Facebook uh, Marketplace or Craigslist. And, and you've listed it for $100, and, and these people have showed up to, to buy that. They've come cash in hand with $100, and, and you say, hey, no, no worries, just, just take it as a gift to you. You will be amazed at the emotions you see in those moments when generosity overwhelms people, when they, when they are struck by the kindness of others uh, in their life. How, how, how is that working in your life? That you begin to have a hilarity welling up within you. Look at what I'm giving away. This is crazy. Do you have that? Do you have that? The third quality we see here is a readiness. A readiness. Uh, look at verse 2. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. There is a readiness to your life, to answer the needs you see. Um, I don't know if you've heard the story of Rachel Beckwith. Uh, Rachel uh, heard the need of kids in Africa who were dying from the lack of clean drinking water. And she, for her ninth birthday, Rachel said, instead of giving me presents, instead of giving me gifts, I just want you to donate money to this charity that will provide clean drinking water for people and families in developing nations. Rachel raised $220. Her goal was 300. And Rachel said, you know what? That's okay. Next year, I'm going to come back. We'll do it again. And we'll see if we can reach that goal. Sadly, Rachel was in a car crash and she died unexpectedly. But before her death, as the word of Rachel's car crash spread the news of Rachel's fundraising wish her church took to Facebook and Twitter and their own website to promote Rachel's longing. And it simply read this on her fundraising page. She ex Rachel explained her goal. On June 12th, 2011, I'm turning nine. I found out that millions of people don't live to see their fifth birthday. And why? Because they didn't have access to clean, safe water. So I'm celebrating my birthday like never before, her fundraiser page said. I'm asking from everyone I know to donate to my campaign instead of gifts for my birthday. Uh, Rachel Beckwith was able to meet her goal of $300 because she ended up raising $1.2 million. 40,000 people in Ethiopia right now will have clean drinking water for life because she was ready. Are you? Are you ready? Do you have that? The last quality we see in this passage is habitual. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Uh, it, it tells us God will supply the seed to you. It's a, it's a farming metaphor. Now, I don't know much about farming. I, trust me on this. I don't know much. But the farmer doesn't plant one seed one time and leave it. 
There, there, there is a process. There's a habitual nature to farming every year. There's a rhythm, plant, tend, harvest, rest, plant, tend, harvest, rest. And God is inviting us to see generosity in the same way. It is woven within us. This is what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, this passage. He says this this way. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's what he's getting at. Jesus is telling us this this is how generosity, you know, has taken root in our lives. It is habitual. It's woven in our habits. You aren't even thinking about it anymore. It's just there. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Uh, We had an issue recently with our sink disposal. It was leaking. And so we had uh, a guy come in to replace it. And and while he was there replacing it, uh, we were just talking the whole time while that was happening. And uh, he's, he's taking everything apart. He's, he's moving things around. He's, he's just moving seamlessly through this project. And at one point I said to him, how many disposals have you replaced in your life? And he said, honestly, I've lost count. Um, and, 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 and I, cause this whole time he, we're, 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 he's putting this together. We're talking, he's just moving along. And then I asked him, well, could you actually write out one by one instructions for how to put a disposal? And he said, honestly, at this point, I can't. I would have to just show you the process of sink disposals, which I didn't know existed. It could even be woven into your habits. Uh, This is why when we first learn to drive, we are absolutely terrified. Uh, And at least you should be if you have your license right now for the first time. Um, We're overthinking everything about driving. Is the car in drive? Is the emergency brake off? Are my hands at what? Is it 11 and two? Whatever those rules are, right? That you're overthinking. But what happens? You get to a place, even with your driving, you're on the road and you're overthinking about everything else, but you're driving. You're not thinking about your driving at all. You're going someplace and you finally get there and you realize I just switched multiple lanes of traffic. I just stopped at multiple red lights. I turned into oncoming traffic and I wasn't thinking at all. And I'm here. That's a grace gift. The habits are woven within you. Paul asked you this morning, do you have that kind of generosity? Uh, Is it so ingrained in your habits? You honestly don't even realize you're doing it. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Those are the four qualities we need to see if we're going to have this kind of generosity in our lives. But if you're like me this morning, hearing those, you recognize a gap. I mean, I even have a gap as I look at the life of Rachel, who's nine years old, and I'm about to be 40 next month, in case you're taking notes. There's a gap. What keeps us from generosity? What keeps us from generosity? That's the third question. And there are two warning signs Paul gives us in this section from what keeps us. The first is our plan. Look at verse five. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Uh, Paul's encouraging these Corinthian church uh, believers to, to follow through on their plan. They, ha- they were going to have a plan. It's, it's thought out ahead of time. We see that all throughout the Bible, having a plan for generosity. Uh, we're looking to have some classes here at the church in the spring on budgeting. And we've already mentioned the class tomorrow. Uh, lunch and evening. It's a free seminar on getting our house in order. Sign up. It's free. It's going to be great. 
We need a plan. Short term, we need a plan. Day in, day out budgeting. And then we need a long-term plan. Uh, where, where are my assets going to go if I die? Where, where are my kids protected? What, what are those pieces? We are all at different stages of life, but we all need a plan. And when we don't have one of those plans, doesn't it just feel like our money grows wings and it flies away? All throughout our life. Have you noticed this in your life? The ancient wisdom of Proverbs spells this out. Look at verse, uh, Proverbs 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. There goes your money. Have you, have you noticed this in your life during the month? Uh, you look at your bank account and you go, where did our money go this month? Uh, why is the credit card bill so high? What, what's, ha- what's happening? Friends, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan? The, the Bible gives us a picture of giving 10% away to God's work. And I know some of you are not there, but what I would ask you is to say, could I give away 2% more next year than I'm currently giving? With, with a goal that maybe in three to five years, I would get to 10%. And I believe God honors that. He honors that work. The first thing is our plan. The second thing that keeps us from generosity, it tells us in our passage, is, is our heart. Look at, look at verse seven. It says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Um, I know there has to be someone here who has been thinking, Man, I hate when the church talks about money. I hate when the church talks about money. Maybe that's you. The problem with that statement is that if we are to follow Jesus, we have to let him speak to our issues with money. To follow Jesus means to listen to him. And Jesus talked about money. And he talked about money a lot. Why? Because Jesus knows the depths of the human person. Jesus knows that something has to have control of our heart all the time. And here's the thing Jesus said, if God has your heart, then money can simply be money in your life. It it, it can be used however God sees fit. But if money has our heart, we will constantly live in a theology of scarcity. Uh, We will live with this burden of constant comparison to those around us. Uh, we, we, will, we will live in worry and fear about the future because we believe God is not in control. And friends, here's the thing about if money has your heart, you will be filled with compulsion like Paul said. You will, you'll be filled with worry. No matter how much you make, you will constantly be focused on what others have that you don't have. I know this is gonna be incredibly hard for you to hear, so you just have to trust me. Uh, I have counseled millionaires in the past that they thought they would not have enough to make it financially. Why? Because they were consumed with what their friends had and what their friends were doing and how much resources and assets their friends had. And we may be saying to ourselves today, if only I had 10% more, if I just had 10% more, all my problems would be solved. I'm telling you, I've counseled millionaires who said the same thing. There's never enough if money has our heart. It's so easy to fall into. What what has your heart this morning? 
Uh, are you given into worry over finances? Do you say to yourself, I'll, I, will get, I will give generously uh, once I get to this place in my career. I, I will give uh, generously uh, once my kids' uh, schooling is all squared away. I'll give generously once uh, we're out of debt. Um, I'll give generously uh, when I have the right house. What, what is it for you that holds you up? If we're honest, we can be pretty consumed with money. I know I can be. And we can be filled with worry and fear about the future or, or we could live into the freedom and joy of God's kingdom, knowing that he is with us and he will provide for all of our needs. So how do we embrace extra mile generosity in our lives? Well, that's our final question. How do we become the kind of people where generosity just flows out of our lives and into the world? Well, we get a clue in our passage at the very last verse, it says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul, Paul has extended the invitation of extra mile generosity to the Corinthian church, and he, and he gives the motivation right here. He says, I, I want you to give because you recognize the gift. There's a gift. What is the gift? Well, commentators on this passage all agree that the gift is actually pointing back to another spot in this larger section of chapters eight and nine to the verse eight, nine. And it says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Uh, Paul tells his church, do you, do you see the generosity of God towards you? The, the, their, though our hearts are stingy, though, though our hearts are, are prone to worry and fear, about the future and will God provide what better gift could God give to us than the one who has all accesses and all resources, the one who has all acclaim and all authority that on the cross, he became poor, that he knew poverty for what reason, what reason it says here so that you could have all that you need in him, all that you need in him so that you could have all the certainty that God hears our prayers when we are in need so that you can know that all of our fears he is covered in his everlasting love. He has sacrificed to make us him. Even when we were stingy, <laughs> even when we worry, even when we were prone to being overwhelmed, he, he says, I've provided for you in a generosity you would never, ever believe so that you could be filled with generosity yourselves for others. Um, if you're new with us, uh, back in August, uh, I had COVID and I, I reached out to a friend of mine who's a doctor and he advised me that I needed to go to the ER to get some meds just to be on top of this. So the doctor, my friend, this doctor drove me uh, to the hospital, to his hospital. And when everyone else wants to avoid you like the plague and no one wants to be around you when you're COVID positive, this guy actually drove me in his car to the hospital. Now he wore double masks and the windows were down and it was August. So I'm sweating profusely in the back, but we had airflow going in the car, but he drove me to the hospital. Then once we got to the hospital, he, he, he leveraged his position for me. He, he was a doctor in this hospital. Uh, we walked right in and we walked right in and we walked right back to an ER bed. I, I, didn't, I didn't stand there and fill out paperwork. I, I, I didn't even wait in the waiting room. I honestly felt guilt about that. I walked right back with him right to an ER bed. And we were there. I got to be seen by great doctors. And there was no way that I was going to walk through those ER doors back to a bed right after walking in with, if he didn't leverage his resources for me. 
If he didn't use his generosity of life for me, there's no way I'm going to walk through. I'm not going to walk in there and say, hey, listen, I'm the lead pastor of Orangewood Church. Give me a bed. Yeah, they're going to say, take a seat. You're going to be there for eight hours. He leveraged all of his resources for me. But it wasn't just that he leveraged all of his resources. I saw great doctors. That was wonderful. But there was a sacrifice too. After being with me for three hours on his day off, while I had COVID, as I got settled in for the night in the ER, he shared with me he was going to head back home because that day, that night, was his 15-year wedding anniversary. And you're here with me in the ER on your day off during one of the craziest seasons of COVID and it's your 15 year wedding anniversary, your wife's going to kill me. Now, after I got home from the hospital, there were not enough words of thank yous that I sent him through text to express my gratitude. I'm trying to take him out to dinner to say thank you. Why? Not because as we pulled up to the hospital, he looked over at me. He said, you know what, Tyler, you're going to owe me big time for this. You are going to be so in my debt when this is all over. He never said that. Never said that. But when you see the generosity of someone else on your behalf, it overflows within you with gratitude. Friends, this morning, do you see the generosity of Jesus for you? Do you see the gift of your salvation? The gift Do you see he purchased what we never could? Do you see how he leveraged all of his access, all of his resources, all of his benefits? Do you see his sacrifice? That though he was rich, he became poor on the cross. And when grace gets your heart like that, friends, it will move you. It will transform you. It will change you. You will find a hilarity welling up in you. I'm giving away all my money. This is crazy. Because you see the gift and what he's done for you. Uh, Jim Elliott was a missionary uh, to the Alca people, uh, the Alca tribe in Ecuador. Um, And you may have heard the story uh, about the mid-1950s, 1960s. Uh, He he went there to share the gospel of Jesus with uh, the Alcas. And they ended up killing him and taking his life. Uh, but, But Jim knew the beauty of the gospel and what was his forever. And this is what he wrote in one of his journals. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Friends, there is a salvation that is yours because of Jesus and you cannot lose it. It's yours forever. You cannot mess it up. All that he's accomplished for you, he became poor so that you would have all of his benefits, all of his access to God, all of the riches of his righteousness are yours. And because of this, because of his generosity, we can become the kind of people who give away our resources, our talents, our skills, because we have a better treasure and it will never, ever, ever be taken away. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we we thank you for the beauty once again and the hope of the gospel. That it is not our clinging to you, but it's you clinging to us. It's you opening the path for your benefits to become ours. 
your access to become ours. And it's us this morning seeing the sacrifice that you would make on our behalf. The depths that love would go to claim us. So that we can look at everything in our life as this beautiful bought gift of grace. That you've been so faithful to us. How could we not? Impress that upon our hearts this morning. Encourage us to see the beauty of grace once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.